Amen. It's good to see all of you here tonight on a Sunday night, on a pretty night. It's amazing how how church sometimes is not as important when it's sunshiny. And so I want to thank you for being here tonight. And uh, I want to start by saying uh, the last time I preached to you on Sunday night, and this are not what I would call easy sermons. You say, well, they're easy for us. We just sit and listen. Well, if you remember uh, when we were together last time, it was on marriage, divorce, celibacy, that whole encompassing thing. Uh, and then tonight, we're talking about pride. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, good thing none of us struggle with pride. Well, I guess I could preach on lying instead, but that's not where we're at tonight. And so because of that, I want to share some good news with you uh, before I get into the sermon. I got a phone call today from a mother who wanted me to know that Wednesday night at Revival, her daughter had raised her hand, uh, knowing that she was lost and that she needed to be saved, but she just was scared to death and didn't know that she could take her mom's hand and bring her up. And so uh, Friday, they were in the car, and she prayed and asked the Lord into her heart and life and to forgive her of all of her sins and to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Amen. 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 I thought maybe we need to have a sermon on not being dead. but uh, And so she informed me that they, they are ready to join the church. And she said, but I, I need to tell you something. She said, my husband is saved and never been baptized. She said, my two older kids are saved and never been baptized. And she said, and now my youngest daughter is saved and need to be baptized. She said, do you think we could baptize all four of them? I said, you betcha. <laughs> you betcha. Can a fat kid eat cake? Amen. And... Uh, and so uh, that is wonderful. They were sick today, and, uh, and most of you know this family, and it was Chuck Ellis's daughter and grandkids. And so uh, they are all going to be uh, being baptized and joining the church. And, uh, and so I thought, amen. And so you say, well, Jake, I'm so sick and tired of sitting at church for three nights in revival every night. Boy, we just sat here and we heard good preaching, but man, I could have. That's why we did it the Lord would work and move in people's hearts. How many of us were blessed for being here at Revival? Amen. Amen. And uh, I really wish we could have went another night. Part of me said, well, we ought to go another night. And then I let the Baptists come in at me and I let them go on down the road. But one of these days, maybe the Lord will break all of us loose and we'll really let him do something special. Uh, but tonight in Matthew, the 19th chapter, uh, tonight I want to talk to you about the danger of pride and how Jesus dealt with it in the lives of people. Many times we look at pride and we say, well, there's, there's no hope for pride because we're all going to struggle with it in different areas of our life. Others of us say, well, it's not really pride, it's self-confidence. As I heard one lady tell her husband, I'm not prideful, I'm just always right. And, um, and so I don't know how you justify it. Sometimes we call it we're not prideful, we have years of experience. There's lots of ways that we look over it, but other times, though, we can be very guilty of looking at it as a sin that is just beyond hope, that it's something that God can't deliver us from, that God can't work. And so tonight I hope, just like the text that we looked at a couple weeks ago that is very challenging, very difficult, to give you a biblical approach because people go to one extreme or the other. And so tonight, if you would stand, I want to read a verse from Isaiah to show you the significance and seriousness and danger that... Pride 
faces us. In Isaiah, the second chapter, verse 12, God is talking to Judah and to the nation of Israel. And he says these words in verse 12. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. I want you to hear there that everything is mentioned twice. If it's mentioned twice in one verse, it is extremely important. Tonight you say, Jake, my pride is in my children. My pride is in my ability. My pride is in my spirituality. You say, Jake, we heard this Sunday sermon this morning. Well, apparently the Lord thought we needed it twice. But friends, tonight I want you to know that anything that we lift up, God will tear down. And so tonight I pray that we will lift him up and watch what he can do. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for Jesus and what he has done for us and what he means to us. And tonight, Lord, I pray that you would be at work. Lord, I pray that you would convict us in the darkest corners of our hearts. Lord, those areas that we have not been willing to let go of because we're afraid of what someone might think or it might prove or it might give way to. Father, I pray tonight that anything we're holding on to, you would convict us of. Father, I pray in this building tonight, in the youth or in the children or in this room, that anyone who is too prideful to admit that they are a sinner and in need of you, Lord, that conviction would happen, that your Holy Spirit would do what only he can do and draw them to yourself. Father, I ask that you give me grace and unction to preach, Lord, that I don't have. Lord, that you'd forgive me and work in spite of me. Lord, I just ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight I want to show you, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you will, that Jesus focuses in on those who can only be helped. Here in verses 13, he begins to talk up to a child and about a child and has an encounter with a child here. In verse 13 of chapter 19, right after we've talked about marriage, divorce, and celibacy, then little children were brought to him. So apparently they weren't so mad that they stoned him over the sermon that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and departed from there. This was very common for a religious leader to lay hands on someone and pray a blessing on them, to pray for them to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's very similar, if you've ever noticed, during a baptism. During a baptism, when I pray for a family, I always pray for them to grow and to serve God and to use this as the starting point in their walk with the Lord. But I also pray for us as the congregation, that we would love each other, that we would show these children or adults what it means to be a part of a healthy church family, what it looks like to be a part of a church that does not damage a generation of believers. I don't know if you know this or not, but if I was to have you to get up and testify tonight about bad church experiences, we would be here for a week. About bad church business meetings, about bad pastors, about bad deacons, about you name it, you could come up with an excuse. You could come up with an experience. And so what he's doing here is he's blessing them. But I want you to see here the significance of this. Even though Jesus had just preached a very difficult, very challenging teaching on a very difficult topic, he did not let it lose focus on what mattered. And tonight, I don't know how important you think you are. Maybe you're the, 
the grand poobah of whatever it is, if a child approaches you about prayer, pray with them. You say, well, Jake, I'm just too educated to work in Awana or I'm just too gifted to work in vacation Bible school. Look up here. If Jesus took time and Jesus made an effort and Jesus prayed over children, who do you think you are? You see, we have to recognize something that God loves children. God loves adults. God loves old people. God loves middle-aged people. God loves skinny people. God loves fat people. God loves black people. God loves white people. God loves Americans. God loves foreigners. Why? God is in the business of changing lives. We put value on people on what they can give us. And so it's interesting that Jesus helps those here in this passage that can only help themselves. You say, well, kids can help themselves, really? Ask a six-year-old to work at the McDonald's drive-thru and see how that works out for you. Ask a six-year-old to live on their own and pay their electric bill. You say, well, Jake, that's not even funny. It doesn't even make sense. Yes, but yet Jesus valued them. Even though they couldn't put money in the offering plate, even though they couldn't volunteer to work in the nursery, even though they couldn't serve and sing in the choir, which little kids can sing in the choir here, even though they can't uh, pay for a building program or all those things, Jesus helped those who needed help. Jesus paid attention to those who needed attention. That is why as believers, as God's people, we ought to do everything we can to stand against child abuse. This week, I was approached by a lady who said, Jake, I need your advice. I said, well, I don't give very good advice, but it's free, so fire away. She said, Jake, I would like to witness to a man who is in pagan worship. And I said, okay. And I said, well, do you know why he is in pagan worship? And she said, yes. She said, his father is very religious. That doesn't mean you're saved, even though you're a religious acting. Amen? You could be a deacon of a church, a pastor, or the song leader, and be as lost and as wicked as they come. And I said, do you care to share why this man hates religion, and especially Christianity? She said, yes. She said, his father was very religious and molested him his entire life. And because of that, the father is still very religious, still very active, and has never admitted or never had the sin dealt with. The damage that was done to that child and the effect that it has had on his walk with the Lord is great. And I want you to hear this. That man will answer for that one day. But as God's people, we should do all that we can to make sure that children are safe. Safe in the home, safe at church. I know what you're saying, and I think of it too. Right, I would send my kids with almost all of you. If you wanted to take two, you would help me in a way that you cannot even imagine. But we live in a different world. And I say that tonight, but it's not true. Children were being molested in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. We just didn't talk about it. And friends, today I know on these pews and chairs there are people who have experienced it, who have went through it, and have never told a soul, including myself. And so we must do all that we can to love children, to show them that the gospel matters, that they are valued, that God cares about them. And I know, I know what you're saying, but Jake, they shouldn't run in the hallways. Look up here, I understand that, but just get over it. Just get over it. 
You say, well, Jake, I just don't think it's very respectful. I don't either, but I don't think you gossip about a two-year-old is either. We should be willing to love people. We should be willing to care about people. We should understand that some kids have a terrible home life. That's why they misbehave in Sunday school and vacation Bible school and, and they're hurting and broken. And this is the only place that someone cares and loves for them. That's why I'm thankful that we have things for children on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night at Vacation Bible School. And we have things on uh, like church camp and all of these things. Why? Because children need to know that if Jesus paid attention to them when he was alive, then we should pay attention to them today. In Matthew, the 18th chapter, Jesus described this to us about the significance of what children can teach us. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children. He didn't say that children were more valuable than anybody else, okay? He is saying that if you become like one, childlike faith, a faith that believes, a faith that trusts, a faith that depends upon him, it says, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. You see, I wonder why in this passage of Scripture, when I'm reading this, why it's right here. Right, we just had this major sermon on divorce and remarriage and celibacy. And, and this, because it's what comes next. We see a group of people that can only be helped. But the second thing I want to show you tonight is that Jesus focuses in on the one who feels he can help himself. In verse 16 it begins and we see a completely different narrative. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, now don't miss the significance of this, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The issue was not money. Selling all you have and entering the mission field might be what God calls you to do. And if that is true, that's wonderful. But this is not a mandate for all people. Jesus knows the heart. The Bible says he knew the thoughts of the Pharisees and the intentions of their hearts. And so when Jesus drops a statement like this, it's because he knew specifically what this man was holding on to, and it was his wealth. He knew that this man would not let go of what he was trusting in. The little child is a narrative that this child has nothing 
except to depend upon God. And now we see an example of a man who has everything he needs, but won't let go of it to trust God. You see, it should have been obvious here when he begins to list the commandments. You shall not murder. But yet Jesus teaches us that to hate someone in our heart is murder. He says, you now shall commit adultery, but yet we all know to have lust in our heart is adultery. You shall not steal. All of us have stolen something, even if it's someone's reputation by the things we say. You shall not bear false witness. All of us have told a lie. Honor your father and mother. None of us have obeyed our parents perfectly. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now I could say that someone might say, I've got a couple of those figured out. But Jesus says, you have to obey all of the commandments. But yet this man didn't say, well, that's impossible. I'm a sinner. I need, I, I can't do that. He says, I have done it. I have done these things from my youth. There's a significance in that statement. How many of you look back to your younger days and think, I was such an idiot? How many of you look back to your younger days and think, boy, I wish I wouldn't have chose some of those sinful decisions that I made? That's all right. You don't have to lie. It's still true. But yet this man is claiming even from his youth, his teenage years, that all he always honored his father and mother. Now, I've been pastoring for 10 years, and I've never seen a teenager yet that honors their parents perfectly. And all you people that's got teenagers can say, Amen. Right? I've never seen a teenager that never had a lustful thought. Never had a teenager that never was worried about bearing a false witness from time to time. But yet that's what this man is claiming. He's not claiming now that I'm adult, now that I am spiritually mature, I am perfect. He says, oh no, it's been this way forever. You see, this is a man who feels he can help himself. But yet what he realizes and doesn't realize is that he has missed the kingdom of heaven. He has missed what God is trying to offer him. Pride is keeping him from the grace and mercy of God. In Romans, the second chapter, because you might be saying, well, Jake, what about people that didn't grow up like we did? What about people who didn't sit through long sermons all the time about pride and sin and Jesus? When Romans, the second chapter, gives an answer for that. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are the law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Now that's a lot that you're saying, I don't understand. This is what I believe. I believe it is our mandate to take the gospel to every people group on the planet. It is the Great Commission. And if there is a people group that has not heard the gospel, it is our fault. But what it says here is, that even the conscience convicts us of what is right and wrong. And so you say, Jake, what about that person that's never heard the gospel? What about those, those tribes of Indians who never had a chance? 
they knew there was a God. And if they would have had a desire to repent and accept the truth, God would have made a way for them to hear. You say, Jake, that's not fair. God knows the heart. I believe you have a choice when you respond to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. You might not agree with me. That's okay. But I believe that the Holy Spirit convicts all men. And you have a choice to either accept it or reject it. But God knows your choice. God knows if you're going to say no, if you're going to say yes. God knows you're not going to change your mind. God knows these things. And what it says is, is this man's conscience will one day testify against him. Because why? He knew that he had sinned. Tonight, if you're here and you are saved, you are truly born again. You don't have to be in church to know when you sin. That's why I hate when people say, don't lie in church. Don't lie in the temple that is holding the Holy Spirit. He is with you. He is in you. He is indwelling you. So whether you lie in a tavern or you lie at the political arena or you lie at church, the Spirit of God is there and knows it. That's why people say, well, I'd never say that in a church building. Well, if you're going to say it out there, you might as well say it here. More people will judge you if you say it here than they will out there. But why? This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is not only in us, but He is everywhere, as Brother John preached. And so if I sin here, or if I sin in secret in my home, if I sin at the coffee shop talking to the old men, if I sin in my car when someone cuts me off, the conscience that I have, the Spirit of God that lives within me, will convict me. You say, Jake, I sin all the time according to the Word of God, and it doesn't bother me at all. You need salvation. Or you have backslidden so far, you are in danger of the judgment of God. That's the only two options. You cannot willfully live in sin and conviction not happen. You say, well, Jake, I talk to people who claim to be Christians all the time that don't worry about skipping church and don't worry about living in sin and don't worry about reading their Bible and don't worry about praying. You messed up one word there by calling them believers. You need to be sharing the gospel with them. You need to be praying with them. You need to be challenging them because if they're saved, God will use you to work in their lives the words you speak, the prayers that you offer, because this man makes it clear that pride has hindered him. The third thing I want to show you is this, that even though it seems kind of hopeless with this man, who on the outside looked the part of a believer, and we look at a child and we see how simple and how humble we must be, the disciples were perplexed. Look what it says in verse 23, Then Jesus said to His disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? From time to time, I like to know what the enemy is doing. And I shouldn't call him the enemy, but I can't help it. So I turn on MSNBC. And from time to time, NSNBC will have some half-infidel liberal minister, is what they call themselves, on there talking about the fact that right-wing, fundamental, Bible-believing Christians like you and I are the problem. We cling to our wealth. We cling to our anti-taxes. We cling to our beliefs that are wrong and terrible. And, 
and that we ought to give everything we have to the government so that they can care for the needs of people. And while I do believe that God's people should be generous and give and sacrificially give, they always quote this verse. that Jesus says, none of us are going to heaven because we're wealthy. Well, that is the problem with this text. Jesus says that yes, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But don't miss what they say in verse 25. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? They have heard this whole conversation. It's not just about the wealth. They are saying, well, this man seems to be moral. This man seems to be like a good husband. This man seems pure. This man seems like a good son. This man seems like everything you would want in a church member, everything you would want in a good Jewish person. What then? Who? Who can be saved? It's not just about the wealth. But Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. What Jesus is saying is, it is impossible for anybody to be saved on their own. Doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. Doesn't matter if you're a good son or a bad son. Doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Doesn't matter if you live in Illinois or Missouri. Doesn't matter if you've never been to church or you've been to church your whole life. Doesn't matter if your dad's a pastor or your dad's a bartender. Jesus is saying it is impossible for anyone to be saved who is prideful who says they can do it on their own. You say, well, Jake, I don't agree with that. Well, good, I'm going to keep going, and I will show you. Verse 27, Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, the resurrection, the, the when God makes it all right, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. This is where I want to show you it's not about money. In this verse it says... Not everyone who has left a CD, a savings account, silver, gold, <coughs> land, tax revenue. It says everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my name's sake. That list is the list of things that will hinder us the most from following Jesus totally. Now, it's not a bad list. Please don't think that. Because it says there, the people that you love the most. But tonight, who impacts you the most? The people you love the most. You say, what does that look like in a church? I'd love to tell you. Well, you know, I know the church was probably right, but I'm related to so-and-so. And so what so-and-so says is what's going to go. Well, you know, Jake, I don't think that's the right idea, but so-and-so is my father-in-law, so that's how I'm voting at the business meeting. Why? That relationship impacts what's right. 
I even heard someone tell me one time, Jake, I know that's not what I should do, but I am terrified I'll be cut out of the will. I said, friends, I don't know what to tell you, but I would much rather inherit this than whatever my father-in-law or mother-in-law or parents have. And so he's not talking about wealth. He is talking about whatever has caused pride in your life that is keeping you from Jesus. Sometimes it looks like this. Jake, I was raised a different way than what you're preaching tonight. I was raised in a religion that teaches you're baptized as an infant, you're, you're confirmed here, or I was raised in a religion that's like this or like that. And if I, if I accept this, I'm going to have some very unhappy people in my family. And so I can't. I'll make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life, but I can't tell anybody. Friends, Jesus said, if you deny me in front of men, I will deny you in front of my... So what he's saying here is it's not the money. It's whatever you are trusting in more than Jesus. If you're trusting more in the appearance of your family, if you're trusting more in the appendance of your wife or your mother or your children than Jesus, Jesus says you're unfit for the kingdom of heaven. But I love this last part because I'm like all good people. I like a good reward, right? We had this discussion about the Hux app, amen? How many of you have been using your points to get free sodas? I know Jamie is. He sent me a picture. Amen, I got one more back there. All right, thank you. I appreciate your honesty. How many of you not got the McDonald's app to get you a free sandwich? Nobody? It looks like a couple of us have. But anyway, no. But look what it says here. And anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold. Now, I don't invest very good. I'm, Bob and I are the same. We buy high and sell low. But Jesus says a hundredfold. Now, I don't know what you made in Wall Street last year, but it ain't that good. I don't know how much your house value has went up. It's went up a lot, but it's not a hundredfold. He says, you shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. God says, whatever you give up for him, God's going to reward you more than you can ever comprehend. Woo! Man, I like it. You might not like it. That's all right. That's what he promises. But what happens is it means I've got to let go of whatever I'm holding on to so much that is keeping me from Jesus. You say, well, Jake, I don't want to hold or fold. I just want to get to heaven. I just want to sneak in through the skin of my teeth. Well, look what verse 30 says. But many who are first will be last. And the last first you see, Jesus makes it clear here that He is the only hope. Philippians, the third chapter, because you might be in saying, Jake, well, I don't serve Jesus for the rewards. That's not my motivation. I just love Him and Him alone. Well, you should. But the Apostle Paul was looking forward to what it's going to be like when he got to heaven. Philippians, the third chapter, starting in verse 12, says it like this. Not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I am living because one, I want Him and I want everything about Him. I want His blessings. I want His favor. I want Him. I am ready to receive my reward. And friends, most of us have gotten happy with the rewards we have here and we don't strive for the rewards we have there. Jesus tells us over and over again that our focus should not be this life, but the life to come. But if I was to ask you tonight, hey, would you like to use your vacation time this year to go on a mission trip? Some ends would have a seizure. If I was to ask you tonight, hey, and I'll tell a story, and I've probably told this story again, but I tell it all the time. My oldest daughter took her first steps at Carl and Jan League's house around their coffee table. And I used to sit on that couch, and she'd say, Jake, you like that couch? I'd say, well, yeah, Miss Jan, it's nice. She goes, I've had that couch forever. And I would say something like, well, you've lived a long time, so forever is... And she said, every time I get enough money saved to replace that couch, you know what happens? Brother John preaches on a missionary. Or he preaches on sending missionaries. And almost for eight years now, every time I went to buy a couch, the Sunday before I'd go, the Lord would lay it on my heart that I needed to give that money for a missionary. She said, I guess I'll die with that couch that you're sitting on. But I want you to know something. Couches don't last very long at our house because somebody spills something, pukes something, or pees on everything, all right? It's just the life that we live. We bought a new couch the other day and had the Hampsons come over that night so they could actually sit on it without catching something. That's the true story. But I can promise you, I don't know how many couches she could have bought, but the rewards she received were much greater. You say, Jake, you're just saying that tonight because Chris talked this morning. I'm telling you that tonight because God's people need to get back to believing that we are sowing in something bigger than this world. We are sowing for souls. We are sowing for lives changed. We are sowing for God to make a difference to the day He returns. And the only thing that will keep us from sowing liberally is pride. What I can have, what I want, what I think, I've been putting off buying new tires on my red van. I don't know why, because I'm cheap. Not spent the money on anything. I've been kept those tires so long that I have to air one up every two days because it keeps going flat. And all I keep telling myself is, is one of these days I'm going to break down on the side of the road with a flat tire and someone's going to say, how long did you know it was flat? And I'm going to sin because I'm going to say, I didn't even know I had a problem, all right? Because I'll feel stupider telling them I knew it was coming. But I want to ask you, what have you given up lately to advance the kingdom of God? I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about your talents. I'm talking about your commitment to pray. I'm talking about a commitment to go and to visit that shut-in or that person that's lonely and hurting. What have you done that says, God, I am willing to give up something that I want 
or something that I am desiring for the good of the kingdom of God. Because when we do that, we show that our faith is real. Our faith costs us something. And in those moments, God tells us that if we will sow liberally, we will reap liberally. And that's what my prayer is for us tonight. Not to become so prideful that we miss the kingdom of heaven and not so prideful that we miss the blessings that God has for each and every one of us and especially for this church. I don't know if you know this or not, my children have never went to church anywhere else. And some of you have got grandchildren and children that have never went to anywhere else. And I really do not want my grandchildren to be sitting here listening to their grandfather preach to 45 people and be the only kids in this church. You say, oh, Jake, it could never happen. Would you like to get in the, the gray van and drive around to many churches and look that it did happen? Because it can't. And what caused it? It wasn't that the preaching was bad. It wasn't even that the music was bad. It wasn't that they hired a heretic. It wasn't that they did anything that you would notice that wrong. But something happened. It's called pride. It became about what they wanted instead of what he wanted. And friends, every decision we make as a church has to be, God, what do you want? And we will trust you as we go. Pray with me tonight. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, you know that I'm just trying to preach what is here. Lord, I pray tonight that as we have got specific and talked about different things, Lord, that, that you would use your word to convict or that your word would convict me. Lord, not just to be cheap, but to be generous. Father, that you would help us to do what we do, not for recognition, but for your glory. Lord, help us to see the things in our life that have caused us the most pride and to be willing to give them to you. Father, I pray tonight that whatever is hindering you from really breaking loose in this place, that tonight would be the night that we would give it to you. Father, tonight I pray that whatever is going on in individual lives that is keeping them from being blessed the way you want them to be, Lord, that tonight would be the night. Lord, that tonight would be the night that we say, Lord, we cannot help ourselves, but you can. And we need you, Lord. We desperately need you. Father, tonight I pray in this place for the person that's here that doesn't know you. Maybe they're a church member, maybe they've been baptized, but yet tonight they know that they've never truly submitted to you. And their pride is keeping you them from you. Lord, tonight I pray that you'd convict them, draw them, save them tonight for your glory. And Lord, for your people that we would just get alone and do real business with you. God, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.